0: out mm-hmm. roll out mm-hmm. roll out roll out i got my twin glock 40s so cock back me and my homies so drop that we living on 20s with, with the, the top back so much money can't stop that <laughs>
2: especially in the case of new evidence. It shouldn't be taken seriously, so just don't.
0: There are moments in history that are so captivating, wonderful or terrible, that people remember exactly where they were when it happened. I remember as a kid hearing my mother tell me the story of where she was when John F. Kennedy was shot and killed. One of my first memories of something being really, really wrong was watching the Challenger Space Shuttle explode on TV, and most recently, I'm sure most of us all remember where we were when the events of 9-11 occurred. I truly will never forget. But there was another moment in the mid-90s that's still talked about today, and I remember exactly where I was on that fateful Friday night in 1994. As a 13-year-old chubby, but yet athletic boy, I had filled my Friday night with the things I just mentioned, food and sports. One of my best buddies was over to spend the night and we emptied our piggy banks to order the new Bigfoot pizza from Little Caesars. It was like two feet long and way too much food for two 13-year-olds. The plan was to watch the NBA Finals on TV and sneak outside to discuss the different strategies of going up a girl's shirt and splitting the single cigarette he had stolen from his older brother. But that night, O.J. Simpson would throw a wrench in our plans and create a moment that was made for Hollywood. The chase in the white Ford Bronco was one of the most surreal things I think I've ever watched. But that moment and the accompanying trial is what most people seem to think about when they think about O.J. Simpson, and rightfully so. But there was a lot more to the man himself than just a slow-speed car chase viewed by 95 million people. So put on those black isotoner gloves while you sprint to your Hertz rental car and get ready for the O.J. Simpson episode of... ASSO Core! All right, before we get started, want to give a giant shout out to Jenny from Grand Rapids. We appreciate you reaching out to us, and just want to know uh, we're definitely thinking about you and your family right now. So say strong, girl. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Uh, you know, you are a super fan of ours, and uh, you know, we just want to give you a little shout out and yeah. uh, know that we're here for you.
2: You've been uh, with us for a long time, and you know, honestly, we love and care about you. Now, I've yet to meet you, but love and care about you.
0: That's right. Absolutely. All right, so let's dive in and get some pre-show scores for O.J. Simpson. Mikey, start us off.
2: Uh, It's tough because I, you know, prelim scores are tough. It's hard to explain to people that are younger than, than we are, I think, how much legitimate love there was for O.J. Simpson mm-hmm. at the time. If you'd gone to May of 1994... He was uh, like one of the most beloved people on the planet. I'm trying to think of an equivalent today. Like John Cena, like a John Cena. Yeah. Yes, John yeah. where Cena. you were Good just like Randy. I, I absolutely uh, like. I was too young. I wasn't born when he was even playing football. So he was the guy from Naked Gun, that John I loved. Cena, or The
0: Rock. Think about it. somebody that yep. starred in another profession, rolled into yep. acting, and was a complete star there too. Yeah, right? yeah and sure. just a
2: bankable star, and mm-hmm. just a handsome dude, a great personality. And then for this to happen was so shocking. So I want to go. I'm actually, so to, to throw this off a little bit, I want to give my legitimate preliminary score of what I thought of OJ Simpson before this murder happened okay. and everything okay. happened. All right. And that would have been legitimately like a 2.0. I thought that that guy walked on water, I thought he was super nice, super cool. Funny, like I said, I massive Naked Gun fan. I still watch that movie once every couple years or whatever. And as Nordberg, uh, he's awesome. Still oh, yeah. hilarious. Yeah. Still makes me laugh. Which is why this was so shocking. So I want to set that precedent here because for a lot of people that are younger, they don't all they know is OJ is OJ the murderer. OJ back in the day, Juice. Yeah. The Juice was beloved. He was like John Cena. He was. Did. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I will put him at a 2.0 right. preliminary score. Interesting. Just, interesting. Yeah. I like interesting. it. Interesting. Buddy, what do you got? All right. So for me, I knew
1: I didn't really keep up with football a lot. I was a little bit more into baseball back in the 90s, but I mean, OJ was everywhere. He was the Hertz rental car guy. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, I saw him a lot on TV and he was very personable. Uh, but I didn't have that attachment to him that Mikey alluded to previously. Now to uh, kind of tap back into what Randy was talking about in the intro, uh, he he mentioned a couple watershed moments like JFK and 9/11 and stuff like that. And while I don't think that this isn't quite this there. isn't quite a
0: watershed moment, the,
2: it's not quite there. But it's like I think I honestly I culturally it is. It just isn't as there was it, 95 million yeah, people watching. It's true. It. Yeah. I honestly believe so. I literally don't remember the Challenger explosion. I was I was too young. Yeah, I don't remember it. But I can like like Randy talked about, I remember where I was at, what I was doing as we watched the the chase. It feels cheap because it isn't impactful like JFK getting killed or the Challenger exploding or 911. but everybody observed it it was a singular cultural touch point and I think that it's okay to say that yeah
1: and see for me, you know I'm not sure if it was a watershed moment, but I do think that the trial and everything, that happened during the trial, it was definitely a watershed moment for me because it was almost like a kind of like a growing up and realizing that I I loved the law growing up and even like entertaining the idea of being a lawyer. But just seeing Johnny Cochran get up there and just be this like basically make a mockery of the law in my eyes. Mm-hmm. It kind of opened my myself up to realizing that if you have enough money and you are famous enough, you can almost buy your way out of anything. And I was it just really just kind of crushed me and kind of made me grow up a little bit faster than I wanted to in that moment.
2: I want to say about that, and we'll get into this later for sure, but like it feels bad to see the law work that way. But in terms of what Johnny Cochran did, as far as like the law goes, was masterful. It was.
1: It was. It was. I mean, it was amazing to watch, but it was also I was sitting on the sidelines going, how do we have this much evidence against him? And we're still letting them go, and it just felt like you know he he felt like a Sunday morning preacher. Yeah, that was not a good one in my opinion. It
2: sucks to see cynicism work. And yeah. that's understandable. It's like as as a kid I'm sure you were like, "Yes, I'm Perry Mason and I I want to be a lawyer that does right." Yep. Yeah. And then when you get into the nitty-gritty of how law can work and just how you're doing and stuff like that or how how, you know, basically how it works in in the real world, it can be demoralizing to see mm-hmm. a cynical play work. But it does work. yeah. And that's the job. But we'll get into this much more, I'm sure, as we go.
1: And that's why I call it my watershed moment, Mm -hmm. because it made me realize that there was, you know, that was kind of like the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain moment, Mm
0: -hmm. in a sense. You're playing on two different playing fields. Yeah, 100%. Mm -hmm. And
1: yeah, yeah. so I can't go back to my opinion of him from 94. I've got to be where we are today Mm -hmm. and where from when we decided to do the show, what my knowledge of him was prior to it. And I was trying to, like, kind of come up with, like, a cool number in a sense. Like, I was hoping that his, like, football number was, like, an 88 or something. Yeah. But it's 32. Yeah. And uh, I was like, even times three, that's still 9.6. That's kind of high right off the rip. But as of today's show recording. And then take away the number of people he killed. You <laughs> <get> right right <laughs> yeah. in range. Well, here we go. <laughs> it's so, called OJ math. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do some OJ math for us. Don't worry. Blockbuster Buddy's coming in. Nice. As of today's recording of the show, my sister just turned 40 today.
2: Oh, wow. Really? 40 as wow. of today. Makes wow! makes me feel
1: old. I know. Happy
2: yeah. birthday, buddy, sister. Yeah. Yep.
1: So, uh, and he was tried for double murder. So we're going to time set by two and we're going to land him at an 8.0 as a, a pre-show asshole score for OJ for me. And actually that lines up with Scott Peterson as well. So I feel like that's a pretty good starting point. pre
2: show 8.0. Okay. Dude, he murdered two people. I know, but I yeah, fair enough.
0: So yeah. it's funny you say this. I'm going to actually go in reverse. I also had him right at Scott Peterson 8.0. Because I'm looking at Bonnie and Clyde at 8.1. Eh, a little more malicious. John Gotti, yeah.
2: eh, a little more yeah. malicious. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking at Rick James. He's a little worse than Rick if James. If I had been born in 1993... My score would be very different, but like sure. said, mine was that my parents raised me on certain comedy movies, sure, naked gun, trains, planes, and automobiles. And also my dad being a huge football fan yeah. it was just like, this guy was a legend. Absolutely. And sure. so Y'all we're
1: from uh, California too, yeah, like yeah. during all those heyday years yeah. of his.
0: So yeah. no, fair enough. So yeah, I had him at 8.0 as well. Well, I
1: waited that oddly.
0: That's <laughs> <laughs> all right. It'll give us a nice swing at the end of the show.
1: All right. With a 2.0 from Mikey, an 8.0 from Buddy, and an
0: 8.0 from Randy, OJ Simpson's pre-show asshole score is a 6.0. All right, 6.0. Mikey didn't uh, tell us about this curveball he was throwing at us. So OJ Simpson is the same level as our boy Steven Seagal at a 6.0. <laughs> yeah. Uh, again, we, we, we say we're going to revisit that show. We have yeah. yet to do it. but uh, yeah. And I'm not throwing any shade. I liked your waiting. I, liked I like the waiting. way that it was. I, yeah, 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 100%. I, do.
2: I feel like I at least Made it make sense, but... You did. You explained it well. Hey, absolutely. And absolutely.
1: And we don't have to be on the same page on everything right at the jump it's either. True. That's, That's true. Right.
2: Fuck you both. That's right.
0: <laughs> on that note, y'all ready to kill it? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Orenthal James Simpson was born July 9th, 1947, as one of four children to mother and hospital administrator extraordinaire Eunice and Father Jimmy, who had a number of different jobs while the Simpson children were growing up, articles I read about Jimmy said he worked at different times as a chef, but also as a bank custodian. Now, hmm. this is the second time that one of our subjects in the courtroom have had a parent who is a bank custodian.
2: Strange, right? It was the first one. I
0: want to say it was like Jim Jones's mom or something like that. Oh. We couldn't tell if she was like a custodian in the bank or yeah, like that's a holder right. of money. Do you guys remember that? Oh, I do yeah, remember that. That's yeah.
2: right. Yeah. And also, like you know, if it is just a standard custodian, that seems like enough. Custodian, not bank custodian, <laughs> <Right>. school custodian <laughs> is one thing. Right. I'm not a janitor at yeah. a school. Those poor janitors at school. I'll never forget us we're walking into the bathroom, and there there were no stall doors. That's right. On the bathroom, uh, in the bathroom, in the, in the, in the gymnasium. And we walked in on this poor Polish man who he was a custodian and he was taking a huge dump and we walked in and he was just trying to have his own private time. And we were like, gross. (laughs) And this poor man had to just sit there and absorb it while two 15 year old boys (laughs) just sort of were like, that's the thing that you're doing that everybody does is disgusting. And he was like, oh, shit, this is going to stick with me for the rest
1: of
0: their time in high school. (laughs) He was like, please get the fuck out of here. (laughs) The one time that I don't go down to the teacher's lounge. (laughs) (laughs) Either way, we do know that OJ's dad was the janitor at the bank. Unfortunately, Jimmy and Eunice's marriage didn't work out. And around the time OJ was five years old, Jimmy left. There may have been some underlying issues as to why Jimmy and Eunice didn't work out. I'll be honest, when I read about this, it was the first time I think I had heard about this, but O.J. Simpson's dad, Jimmy, was a gay cross-dresser. Hmm. hmm. One quote from an article I read said, Mama Simpson, as he was known to me, used to hang around the hotel where I lived and was frequently dressed in drag. Wait, is that O.J. saying this? No, this was um, a guy in a, essentially from an article I was reading while I was sourcing everything. Oh, God gotcha. knew okay. about. Yeah. But he would call him Mama Simpson? Mama that Simpson. His, yeah. yeah used to hang around the hotel where I lived and was frequently dressed in drag. Everybody knew he was OJ's dad. He got to be known as Mama Simpson because he favored young butch white kids as boyfriends.
2: Okay. Yep. Well, that's. Uh, I will slowly absorb that and we will continue. Interesting tidbit. I had yeah. never
0: heard that about OJ's dad. A 2016 documentary OJ Made in America had a childhood friend, Calvin Tennyson, recalling going with OJ to Jimmy's home. He recalled, and when his dad opened the door, he was in a bathrobe, which is not a crime. But then his dad kind of opened the door more, and there was a guy in the back in a bathrobe too. So it was obvious his dad was gay. And I'm wondering, is it like those bathrobes where they like come up like thigh high, you know,
1: or is it you know like you know full size, you know? Uh, I'm sure it was
2: uh, in a non
0: sauna setting not terribly comfortable in like sole solely in bathrobes
2: i've never owned an actual bathrobe i got one it's awesome yeah i'm yeah. sure they're great they seem cool i don't know my wife stole one from a hotel a while back we still have it what is up with our my wife also stole one from a hotel. all women <laughs> steal robes from hotels hey, listeners you know this is true all you women that are listening have stolen a robe <laughs> from a hotel because they're really nice robes they're really nice my yeah. wife stole it over like 20 years ago and she still wears it my yeah. wife's legitimately the same thing it has a giant hole in the back i'm like i will get you a new robe she's like this one's still kind of doing its thing i think there's a value to stealing <laughs> uh-huh. right they're like they're like this is you know it's, it's a good one well, well f-
0: your food tastes better yeah yeah yeah, yeah. we I still got charged it. we still got charged
2: for it oh yeah i don't know uh, well they? yeah oh, we man. i saw the bill we got charged for it this she stole it before we were together so thank you wife for that. <laughs>
0: Calvin recalled tension afterward, broke up as they burst into laughter. They never discussed the scene. Calvin added, back in our day, that was the worst thing in the world that you could ever think about, an African-American man being a homosexual.
2: Yeah, up until about, I don't know, maybe like four weeks ago, that would have been an issue. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like, truthfully, like I said, even us growing up in the 90s, like, man, being gay was not cool. Right. It was
1: extremely taboo. Yeah. uh, And and if someone's
2: dad was gay. Oh, they were like and it was discovered it would be we had a guy about- that we
0: had a guy that we knew growing up whose dad was arrested mm-hmm. on pretty much he was in the woods in a well known spot for it, it, that kind of rest area yeah. yeah and he got arrested and like it it affected him it absolutely time, did you know and I
2: mean? actually this is a moment here because a lot of our fans have asked us to talk about how we're assholes and stuff like that I'm going to put a moment here where Randy was actually a very good guy I don't know about that because, from what I recall, he was told by this friend to please not tell anybody, and he really did hold that secret until we were much older. Yeah, it was mm. in the paper.
1: Yeah. No, <laughs> I, I knew about that. It was in the paper. <laughs> oh, no, uh, no.
0: Yeah, no. I can't take credit for any of that that you just said. I appreciate it. That's I retract solid.
1: that. <laughs> yeah. I remember, Randy, like, the next weekend I came over. And I he
0: didn't. Was, he was like, hey, guess what happened? Dude. It was in the paper. It
2: was in the <laughs> paper.
0: Like I okay. So uh, uh, interestingly enough, I didn't really. Start- I still was that dude's friend. I stayed. I it's still. Hung true. Out now to Randy's
1: it? credit, yeah, absolutely. Like Randy was like, you don't fucking talk
2: about that when he comes oh, over yeah, right, and stuff yeah. like that. And it was you know, but well, exactly. So I didn't start hanging out with you guys until we were uh, in high school, and so I never knew. And <laughs> apparently, it was already talked about. But you guys did hold it together pretty well so anyways (laughs) half score half credit for randy thanks thanks well at least you know
1: that does show you that how far we've come as a society where you know if that was something that was extremely taboo even just 25 years ago that it's something that is completely accepted and like not frowned upon whatsoever except in very small groups you know at this point in time and how things can change just over the course of two decades
2: well and honestly it's true because uh i will be perfectly honest in the 90s I was uh, not very cool with gay people. I was not a, you know, I don't know. It was a different time. But as I got older, and I actually ended up making friends with some people that are gay. Like one of them is basically like I don't I don't call anybody my like my son's godfather because that's just lame. <laughs> uh, but like one of them, yeah, one of one of basically like. Adopted uncles is, uh, is a gay guy that's awesome as hell. And he was there when he was born. And he's a, a part of our family and stuff like that. And it just shows, like, like Buddy's talking about, it. it shows how much time has changed and how much, you know, we've changed and for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Back to baby juice.
0: Simpson's maternal grandparents were from Louisiana. And his aunt gave him the name Orenthal, which she said was the name of a French actor she liked. I couldn't find anywhere on the internet the actual actor he was named after. I read in an article that the actor could have been Italian as well. Didn't find that one either. Okay. So couldn't find the person he was named after, Orenthal.
2: I would like to know if there's anybody named Orenthal.
0: That's what I was going to say. Are there any other Orenthals? I think there was. I Googled it, and, yeah, there's a kid from The Walking Dead named Orenthal Gibson. Okay. But, yeah, probably named after O.J. Oof
1: thanks mom and dad i didn't yeah. really
2: like Nicole cold cotton yeah. let's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> we'll see
1: if that's gonna pay off for him yeah
2: nicole brown broke their family apart <laughs> <laughs> he
0: was called oj from birth and did not know that orenthal was his given name until a teacher read it to him in the third grade okay Went, yeah didn't know his name didn't know your name all the way through
1: third grade third grade and then news orenthal then didn't even find out from his parents it was his teacher
0: that's right
2: i halfway believe that <laughs>
0: When O.J. was two years old, he suffered from rickets, a disease caused by a deficiency of sunlight or vitamin D. Rickets can cause soft and deformed bones in growing children. The ailment left O.J. pigeon-toed and bow-legged. His mother couldn't afford the expensive braces she needed, so she found a bootleg set of braces that were made up of a pair of shoes connected by an iron bar that O.J. would wear for a few hours almost every day until he was five years old. He would join forces with another young boy from Alabama, where they would famously go on to show Elvis Presley how to
2: swivel his hips while staying the night at his friend's house. Swinging my hips. (laughs) (laughs) Run, run. also, rickets is just fantastic. It's such an old school word, you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. You're like, oh, he's got rickets. Or like, he's got uh, the mumps. He's got dropsy. <laughs> <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> Scarlet fever. <laughs> yeah,
1: it feels like a very 1950s. Yeah. Oh, Z yeah. You're
2: like, what is fucking dropsy? I don't know. <laughs> I even don't know. And I swear to God, I Wikipedia that like six months ago that I've already forgotten.
0: <laughs> but even so, he did have to wear these shoes with the bar on it to keep his feet from being Pigeon toed. It almost kept his feet straight. Yeah, the four Gump shoes. Yeah.
2: That's how you make a, a fucking running back, a legendary running back. <laughs> yeah, that's how Forrest got his. Oh, you know what? That's running. right. That is how Forrest got to run. Yeah, so here's the fucking the strong score. correlation. I, as I, as you know, I'm a parent. I see the competitive nature and parenting in our generation. It's fucking wild. All the people that go and have their kids on like these travel teams are like seven <laughs> yeah, years old and shit. Yeah. So here's the deal you want to have a really great running back? Put him in your basement until he's about six. No sunlight. <laughs> Put a fucking iron bar on his legs like he's a fucking pirate prisoner. And you're good. You, there's no, you don't need to spend $20,000 on lessons. Metal boots. Yeah, that's tip. the only thing that he can walk around in. Pro tip. You're welcome. There you go.
0: OJ recalled it was hard being raised by a single mother. He was called Mama's Boy as a nickname. In a 1975 profile in Parents Magazine, he recalled, Except for the holidays, when I was growing up, I rarely saw my father. I resented his absence, especially when I became a teenager and was trying to find out who I was. I really needed a man around then for some guidance. i get along with my father now, but it's taken some years for me to come to terms with my feelings. The Simpson clan lived in the Potrero Hill housing projects in San Francisco, and by the time OJ was around 13 years old, he joined what was described as the local fighting gang, the Persian Warriors.
2: Man. Sounds like something out of the outsiders. They had, it? They, yeah, they had better gang names back then, you know? Now it's all like letters MS13, yeah. shit like that. Or what, 69th Street Rollers or whatever? They're like, we're the Persian Kings and we fistfight <laughs> for fun. <laughs> he said, I'm the, metal boots, get up here. He said, we're the ugly clown gang and we'll make you <laughs> laugh and then beat your ass.
1: Or from a uh, short circuit. Los Locos Los kick your, your ass. Ass. Yeah,
2: And that's the thing, too. Where the, the area where the Persian kings ran, well, you know. Persian warriors. Persian warriors ran is now a uh, Starbucks or a fucking <laughs> blue bottle coffee yeah. where all the tech warriors come. I was about to say right across the
0: street from Google. Yeah. Yeah. One fight landed OJ at the San Francisco Youth Guidance Center for nearly a week in 1962. He's a great guy, but he wasn't any angel, said Joe Bell, a friend from high school. If circumstances had been slightly tilted, instead of a football star, he could have been public enemy number one. Simpson said in a 1976 Playboy interview, I never infringed on people. I only beat up dudes who deserved it. At least once a week, usually on Friday or Saturday night. If there weren't no fight, it wasn't no weekend. Yeah. Man, so he went looking for trouble, but only with
1: hooligans, not with any <laughs> only kind of- Only those who deserved it, in his eyes. Yeah.
2: Uh-huh. <laughs> and we know how uh,
1: Yeah, uh how worldly. I never
2: fought a person that didn't deserve it either. <laughs> I feel like that's a commonality with all people that have been in fights. <laughs> I never just beat up a dude for fun. He was looking at me funny. Exactly, yeah. And he's looking like he to fuck up that handsome
0: face he had, dude, man. That's right. Be treated like a punk, you know it's unheard of. That's right. Yep. R. I. P. Cooley, yeah. R.I.P. Cool, yeah. Simpson attended and played football at Galileo High School in San Francisco. As expected, he was a badass and was selected for the all-city team. But in a tale as old as time, the star athlete's grades held him back from heavy college recruitment. At the time, the Vietnam War was waging on, and he watched a childhood friend suffer a pretty severe injury. He knew he didn't want to enter the military, and the only real way around it was to go to college. He didn't receive any scholarship offers from Division I schools, so he enrolled in City College of San Francisco in 1965. That's right. He played on both offense and defense for the football team as a running back and defensive back. Because Those city
2: colleges were like, we can field about 30 players. That's it, man. <laughs> They're on both sides. Can you kick? Yeah. Who cares? Get How's under. your
1: stamina? Back in my day, we had to run offense and defense. Yeah. Uphill both ways. That's it, man. He's like, well, you we were in San Francisco, it really was uphill
0: both constantly. ways.
2: Constantly. So you got to do run offense, defense. You got to go home, kill, come back, do it again.
0: <laughs> in college, he really started to separate himself from his competitors. As a sophomore, he made the junior college All-American team as a running back. And finally, got the attention of major colleges around the country with his standout performance in the super prestigious Prune Bowl. Hell yeah, dude! So the right. Prune Bowl is almost like the localized city, California. Ship. Yes, that's exactly right. The State College Championship of California. Okay, yeah.
2: prunes and raisins, bro. You—that's some California shit, bro. California Where do you think raisins. California raisins come from, man? Yeah, all Her- them fucking grapes. People, Her- didn't, this is before the wine thing. Right, like wine was a big deal, but before you had like the wineries or whatever, it was just like, I don't know, leave me the sun. Let's just sell them to people. <laughs> put sunglasses on them and put yeah, them on TV. Dude. Make them sing. Make them do the temptations. Heard the grapevine. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Despite losing the game, Simpson drew the eye of the recruiter from the University of Southern California, a school Simpson had dreamed attending since he was a kid. The University of Utah also made a strong bid, but OJ decided to take his talents to Pasadena. It was here that the legend of O.J. Simpson would truly take form. Being at a big-time school like USC got O.J. the attentions of sports writers around the country. Because remember, folks, at one point in history, newspapers were actually read by millions of people each morning. Another ritual that I, too, have let go to the wayside. My wife subscribed for a couple months a few years ago, but we wound up dumping them in a recycling bin without ever
2: getting them out of the plastic. So I- question, do you guys ever read a paper paper? It's been years. I do, but I. What I will say is that I miss the paper days to an extent. Mm-hmm. Only because it was, um, I. You know, I don't know. I mean, there's just, there's just too much now, right? Yeah, yeah. sure. So it was sort of like, uh, like when you. Okay, so a prime example is like I get home and I want to eat dinner and I'm like, let's find something to watch. Well, I've got like 80 subscriptions. It's the dilemma of choice. I think is mm-hmm. what it's called or something like that. I don't know. There's too many choices. A newspaper narrowed it down. You're yeah. like, okay, I've got a little bit of time here. I can read the headlines and decide sort of what I want to read, and I go to that. So in a grand sense, it's not as good because you're limited in your information, but in a time sense, it's pretty cool. It's yeah. beautiful. So yeah.
1: When I was a teenager, I actually worked at a newspaper mm-hmm. uh, bagging up newspapers. That I like, remember this. I, yep probably had to show up at like midnight and we worked from midnight till about 4 a.m., 6 a.m. just stuffing newspapers and you got paid for each one that you stuffed. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it started to become a competition to see who could stuff the most and walk home with the biggest paycheck. That's right. I
0: think what I liked most about the paper paper was that like feeling of like cherishing the moment when you got to read what it was you were looking forward to read. And I say that like this. So I would oftentimes have to snake the sports section from mm-hmm. wherever i was at sure and then like wait to either get to a good spot where i can sit and read it and because you had to physically open it up like you yeah. got to be in a spot you can't just be like you on gotta, a you subway or the, something the whole just, table right yeah you got to be in a spot so like that moment we're like hell yeah you can go in and just dive into the whatever it was that you want to look at that, that little like sense of gratification i think yeah. is missed with the world we're in today where you just kind of pop your phone open and you're in that's right we didn't read the paper
1: at my house, but I have distinct memories of being over at Randy's house and oh, being yeah. upstairs on the kitchen table and like just, you know, having the paper oh, yeah. sprawled out. Absolutely. And uh yeah. Enjoying it.
2: Well, and my dad I remember being a kid and my dad and mom for a while would like make coffee and like read the paper. Didn't seem to last that long. I think that was my dad making an effort to be an adult. Okay. Like, it was like, (laughs) this is what I'm supposed to do. All right. But, yeah, I don't know. It's hard to describe uh, for anybody that's younger. That's why even talking about, like, O.J. Simpson is a different thing. Most of our readers (laughs) (laughs) or most of our listeners here are are much younger than us. Uh, So, other things I enjoyed, rock candy. And also uh, catching fireflies in a jar (laughs) and uh, going down to the creek and swimming. We are old as fuck. And I've just given up on the fact that we're not. This is some uh, knowledge for all of you guys. This is uh, uh, us old timers passing on generational. That's right. That's right. So I'm not going to do a super
0: deep dive into OJ's college athletics. And yes, I will keep in mind all of our non-football folks out there. But here's a taste of what he accomplished while he was toting the rock for the Trojans in the late 60s. As a junior, O.J. ran for 1,543 yards and 13 touchdowns, good enough to earn second place in the Heisman Trophy voting. Quick quiz, AHC boys. What is the Heisman Trophy given out for?
2: The best college football athlete of the year.
0: Good. Yep. Exactly what I was going to say. Good, good. I'm pretty sure one of you would have gotten it. Yeah. (laughs) Nicely done, Mikey. Yeah. Yeah. As a senior, he totally fucking balled out, rushed for 1,880 yards, 383 carries. It was good for 23 touchdowns. So to give you an idea of what that translates to, he averaged right at five yards per carry his senior year. You need to get 10 yards to get a first down. So it was
2: guaranteed money, baby.
0: Meaning you could pretty much turn around and hand it to OJ, and he'll march you down the field and score about two touchdowns a game. Yeah.
2: Wow. Yep. Wow, and well, I also want to pause here. And there's another like we were a USC family growing up. Yeah, like my my dad was a huge USC fan, so of course we absolutely like loved OJ Simpson. Mm-hmm. Of course, oh yeah, for sure. In fact, sure. when I moved here and I had a USC shirt, everybody was like, "You like the fucking Gamecocks?" Yeah, and yeah, like, no. Yep. Uh-huh.
1: Are <laughs> <laughs> they like University of South Carolina? Yeah, what? yeah exactly. Yeah.
0: He did win the Heisman Trophy his senior year in what remains as the largest margin of victory for the award, as well as several other awards. In the de facto national championship game, the Rose Bowl, on New Year's Day, number 2 USC faced top-ranked Ohio State. Simpson ran for 171 yards, including an 80-yard touchdown run, but the Trojans lost 27-16. But before O.J. set foot on the football field at USC, he had joined the track team as soon as he got on campus. He ran in the USC Sprint Relay Quartet that broke the world record in the 4x110 relay at the NCAA Track Championships in Provo, Utah in June of 1967. He also lost a very close 100-meter race at Stanford against then-British record holder Menzies Campbell, who was yeah. like the world record holder he barely lost to him.
2: Imagine this. I mean, the time frame is nuts. He went In about six years, he went from fist-fighting around the world with the Persian kings <laughs> <laughs> to like... Being a fucking all star, yeah, absolutely, like, almost at like Olympic
1: level too. Oh, like yeah. for sure, like... world
0: class sprinting speed. Yeah, as expected, OJ was taken as the number one draft pick in the nineteen sixty nine NFL draft. When Simpson was drafted, he immediately demanded the biggest contract in the history of American professional sports. Why not six hundred and fifty thousand dollars over five years? Over five fucking years? That's right. That's like a hundred and thirty a year. Yeah, right at yeah, yeah. yeah That's
2: not inflation and everything it's not too far off of sort of what i'm making it's fucking crazy dude <laughs> it's, it's it's uh that's bonkers yeah now, of course i i just one of my favorite things ever was seeing the halftime picture of the kansas city chiefs quarterback smoking a cigarette and drinking a fucking it was like a phantom miller or yeah, something. yeah, yeah yeah just like chilling it was a different time in in, uh, NFL history.
0: Absolutely. Bill's owner, Ralph Wilson was floored and there was a standoff. Simpson threatened to become an actor and skip professional football entirely. But in the end, Buffalo had to sign Simpson and they did. The hype around OJ was insane. One article I read said, you have to understand that when the bills drafted Simpson with the first overall pick in the 69 draft, the most conservative theory was that he would immediately become the best running back in the NFL the more daring believed he would alter American sports.
2: Oh, man. Yeah, pretty it's high praise. change the whole fucking thing, baby.
0: But the first three years of OJ's career, he was a dud. Ooh. He was injured, he was ineffective, and he was bored out of his mind. His first coach, John Roush, was unimpressed. He said, I couldn't build my offense around one back, no matter how good he is, Roush said. It's too easy for the pros to set up defensive keys.
2: Well, and you know what's interesting, too, is that had it been the time now... His career was over. You better fucking produce as soon as you come in, like, or you don't or the, have. A or they're coach. the highest paid well, athlete that, at the time. They
0: give rookies a little more rope now, but the coach, if he started and the coach and they failed, the coach would have oh, definitely yeah. gotten fired, just like they did.
2: But yeah. I'm saying, like, to come in now and have three horrible years. Oh yeah, like, oh
0: your career's done. It's yeah, you're much a backup at that yeah. point. His second coach, Harvey Johnson, devised a new offense. It was called OJ left, OJ right, and occasionally OJ up the middle. But that didn't prove any better for Simpson. He said, I was just playing football for money at that point, he told Sports Illustrated. I couldn't wait for the season to end so I could get out of Buffalo and go back home. Well, man, I realized that was no way to be. In 1972, the Bills hired a tough old linebacker coach named Lou Saban as their head coach. Saban had a knack for building rushing attacks. Simpson noticed Saban's impact immediately. Now the holes were there, he said. Personally, I think I'm going to lead the league in rushing. That would happen in 1973, the greatest year of O.J.'s career. 1973, O.J. rushed for over 2,000 yards in one season, something no running back had ever done. That's right. He broke the record of NFL legend Jim Brown and is still the only player to hit 2,000 yards in 14 games. He was named the most valuable player and offensive player of the year and had become the darling of the NFL.
2: Also, let me go back here for a second, too, because like I think we've identified pre-1994 the first the 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 worst three years of oj simpson's life 69 through 72 imagine growing up in san francisco you're just beating ass with the persian fucking warriors whatever warriors just you're just having a good time probably just fucking on the regular right go down to usc like you go to city college first and you go to usc balling out everything's great like fuck yeah and they're like hey hey first round pick. where am i going Buffalo, New York. Well, that and,
0: you know, why you get the number one pick? You're the worst team in the league. They had won, right. They had yeah. won one game the year before. Ooh. That's it. And yeah.
2: Buffalo, the coldest motherfucking city. It's a, it's a toss-up between Green Bay and, and, and Buffalo. They're cold. Both of them are really fucking just cold. Just miserable cold. You're coming from sunny Southern Cal. Yeah. Literally every day is, like, you know, nice temperatures, good weather up there. And then you have three years of just fucking Sludging through bullshit And you're hating it you Yeah know? and like
1: Predominantly the games Start
0: right at the fall Or the
2: oh, end of fall the Through winter Yeah it's like, when
0: the weather's Dog shit is when you're in That's Buffalo. the best games yeah. You
2: want to watch too It's oh, like the ice sure. balls You yeah. want to see Where they're all You're like That looks cold as shit man And they're all wearing Short sleeve shirts yeah. Except for the like Quarterback Yeah you know? I mean it's enough To make you want to Kill somebody Yeah,
1: yeah. Wow <laughs> Little bit of
2: Foreshadowing there <laughs>
0: Tired of commercials in the middle of your asshole court episodes? Do you want to say in the next show subject or the next conspiracy we discuss? Well, now you can. Go to patreon.com slash AHC podcast. Get those ad-free shows you want, get some input on who you want to hear about, and become internet famous with a shout-out on one of our shows. We've even got stickers and swag to show off to all your friends, and you'll get new conspiracy court episodes as well. Go to patreon.com slash AHC podcast to find us today. O.J. had a very charming personality, and he had begun working on his passion project before he ever played a down in the NFL. O.J. wanted to be an actor. He appeared in an episode of Dragnet in an uncredited role while he was in college, and he appeared in the first episode of Medical Center while negotiating his contract with the Bills. By the time he had retired from the NFL in 1979, he had 16 movie and TV credits. And yes, he wound up playing 11 seasons in the NFL and finished with 10,236 rushing yards, second all-time when he retired, good for 21st all-time now. He made six Pro Bowls, which is like an all-star team for the NFL, but only played in one playoff game his entire career. He ended his football days back in his home city, signing and playing with the San Francisco 49ers the last two years of his career.
2: Dude, imagine him being transported through time and doing what he was doing then now. And like his net worth would be Tiger Woods level. 100%.
1: But, you know, that was something that just happened a little bit more, like, back in the day. Like, I mean, Elvis was in, what, like, 40 movies or something like that. Oh, yeah. So, you know, it's just easier for the celebrities back then to kind of cross over.
2: Well, yeah, but and he was a super athlete. Guys like A-Rod and them were, like, all the contracts we talk about now would have been mind-blowing. Oh, yeah. Plus him being a pretty good actor, a good face, all the, the to- like, that guy would have been, literally had a billion-dollar net worth. Yeah, a 100%. Talking, the Rock. The yeah. rocker Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. Was like, yeah. yeah,
1: The Rock is a good comparison yeah. because he was wrestling and now all maybe, into the movies. Maybe even
2: more because the WWE was not paying The Rock what like a major uh, superstar would be for the NFL now. Yeah, 100%. True. But as we all know, this was just the
0: end of Phase 1 of O.J. Starting in 1975, O.J. became the lead pitchman for Hertz Rental Cars. Off the field, Simpson made a conscious decision to project a positive image to distance himself from the teenage OJ. He had an innate way of communicating warmth and charm, helping make him the first black athlete to be merchandised on a grand scale. His Hertz commercials pictured a dapper OJ running to catch a Hertz runner car, smiling as he hurdled the airport guardrail and flashed past the cheering old lady with a sign chanting, Go OJ, go. That's right. He was a black man interacting with white men and women.
2: That's another thing. That's another thing that was so hard to break that barrier back then to become like a a, a marketable black figure. Again, imagine it now. That guy would, I just can't even imagine how big of a star he'd been if it had been 30 years later.
1: Right. You know, he did catch a lot of animosity for that, though, from the black community. There was a lot of people that were mad at O.J. that once he kind of crossed that threshold, he basically kind of lived his life white. Oh, yeah. And kind of just, you know, never went back to the projects, never kind of
2: opened any parks or that, anything like that. that. Yeah, That was the infamous uh, quote he had. He said, I'm not black, I'm O.J. Yeah. And yeah. that's what uh, actually what in the Jay-Z song or whatever, the story of O.J. Simpson, Was about that, you know, and it's it's a fascinating thing to do because uh, or to look into because he really totally like distanced himself from the black community. But like I said, I just man, I get I, I can't imagine how marketable this guy would be right now.
0: Yeah, yeah, sure. And like you said, overtly, he sidestepped any major issues appearing apolitical, which was how the business community and the audiences accepted him, all of which catapulted him to a level of financial success unknown to most athletes, black or white of that time. Mm-hmm.
1: So like he's like passing Joe Namath and all that. Oh yeah.
2: Oh, for easily sure. Joe Namath made like $37 in 1967.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he was an attractive man who did not thrust his fist in white society, but rather extended his open handed friendship business exec Chuck Barnes helped Simpson form business relationships with Chevrolet and ABC early in his football career by 1971. New York Magazine wrote that Simpson was already wealthy enough to retire this week if he wanted to. In 1975, People Magazine described Simpson as the first black athlete to become a bona fide, lovable media superstar. He used his amiable persona, good looks, and charisma in many endorsement deals. Besides helping his acting career, Simpson estimated that a very successful Superstar in a -a Rent-A-Car campaign raised a recognition rate among people he met from 30 to 90%. O.J. was the original flow from Progressive or perhaps an inspiration to My Pillow founder and asshole court subject Mike Lindell.
2: Yes. Hey. I would still rather hang out with O.J. Simpson. <laughs> Than Mike Lindell? Yeah. Yeah. Ah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. It's That's never going to happen. I, so cou- I couldn't me. hang
0: around Mike Lindell. I would just no, I couldn't either.
2: Yeah. I would rather hang out with O.J. Hertz annual
0: profit increased by 50% to $42.4 million within the first year. Brand awareness increased by more than 40%, and 97% of viewers understood that the commercials advertised Hertz, avoiding the common vampire video problem. Simpson was so important to the company that CEO Frank Olson personally negotiated his contract and Hertz used him for an unusually long time for a celebrity endorser.
2: What is the vampire video problem? That
0: is when you show an advertisement and then people don't remember what company it's for. They just okay. remember the, they just remember remember the, the ad. The, yeah. They don't remember well,
2: the actual right, so, company. Uh, I understand the concept. I'm just trying to think of an example of that, that, that happening. I Maybe mean, stuff you,
0: that Elvis would hawk or, back in the day? I imagine like now, sometimes you see, especially with like perfume ads, yeah. I'm not real sure what it's for.
2: Well, they're awful. I don't even know what it is. They're just kind of whispering in different ways. And languages. they're on black and white, and yeah. then there's all some famous actress or whatever. I'm also not the target demographic. I'll never buy Chanel Number 5. I don't know, but okay. The publication
0: Advertising Age in 1977 named Simpson the magazine's Star Presenter of the Year. By 1984, consumer research found that he was the most popular athlete endorser in the 1990s MCI Communications commercial starring Eunice Simpson satirized her son's work. It wasn't just advertisements that Simpson was doing. He actually did what I consider to be his finest work in a trio of comedy classics from the 90s, the Naked Gun Trilogy.
2: My hey, fucking favorite. Yes. I, I can't describe how much, I, in all honesty, like I know this is going to sound, I'm almost getting emotional about it. <laughs> Naked Gun, the first one especially, and at the second, two and a half, like sort of set my idea of what comedy was the baseball scene
0: is just the the greatest sports funny scene ever man so
2: good i would like honestly i I always wanted leslie nielsen to be my grandfather (laughs) he's so cool i like i said i can't describe like my my whole family loved the naked gun so much do you think
1: it was was
0: because oj was in it
1: and that's what brought it or y'all were like a leslie nielsen family
0: had the california angels in it had reggie jackson in it it was
2: it was your your chocolate is in my peanut butter Mm-hmm. Right. It was that sort of setup where it was just like, it's just so funny. Me and my mom still talk about it. I swear to God, at least a couple times a year, we'll talk about it. She's like, remember that scene in The Naked Gun? It was just part of our family, man. Yeah. It, was, it was. It felt like, I don't know, what was your family's like favorite yeah. movies?
1: We, we were the Steve Martin family, so it okay. was like The Jerk. And yeah. like all of those kind of just, uh, you know, we, we never really got into the Leslie Nielsen as yeah. a family. But yeah, yeah, I definitely remember watching a lot of Steve Martin movies yeah. growing up. We Ours.
2: loved Steve Martin. We loved uh, Three Amigos for sure. We all did. Of we were
0: definitely uh, Airplane and the Blues Brothers. Yes. Yeah. We were probably my dad's two favorite movies.
2: Yeah. Yeah. See, and th- there's like an emotional attachment to that. Sure.
0: Oh, 100%. Hence the 2.0, fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> Although Simpson appeared less often in Hertz commercials by the late 80s, his relationship with the company continued. Simpson was to travel to Chicago to meet with Hertz executives and clients on the night of June 12th, 1994. So we aren't going to do a deep dive into the OJ Simpson murder case itself, but I think there are parts of this murder trial, outside the fact that I'm like 99% sure he killed those people, that may impact his asshole score. The way Nicole Brown Simpson was murdered leaves zero room to think this wasn't extremely malice, fueled with anger, and had to be carried out by someone who was really fucking strong. The medical examiner said that she was stabbed multiple times in the head, neck, and body with some defensive wounds on her arm, but the kicker to me was the fact that there was a footprint on her back showing that the killer wound up putting their foot on her back, pulling her head up, and then cutting her throat. They said she was almost decapitated. Theory suggests that Ron Goldman, the second victim, walked up on what had just happened and was overcome and killed rather quickly. He had almost no defensive wounds, and it appears as though he was being choked out with one hand and stabbed to death with another.
1: You know, I thought about that a little bit, and I can't even begin to put myself into those shoes by any stretch of the imagination. It must have been terrifying to not only walk up and come up on Nicole like that, but also to have, like, this massive, like, football player just, like, I mean, coming at you, and... um. The only thing that I can... I'd be like, Nordberg! (laughs) Oh, my God! (laughs) Don't do
0: this to me, Nordberg! I love you! Ah, And here's the kicker. You aren't going to outrun him. No.
1: (laughs) Well, that actually ties into what, you know, I was going to bring up is that the only kind of parallel that I can throw this into is that when we were teenagers, me and Randy got into a a tussle, an (laughs) argument about something, and I jumped out of his car. We had just left Blimpies, and we both had like 64-ounce drinks in our hand. Yep. And we were yelling at each other, and Randy was still in his car. It was a Mustang, a two-door with the window down, and he's yelling at me, and I'm yelling at him. Mm -hmm. And Randy threw his drink at me, and I was outside of the car. I just sidestepped it, and just out of instinct, I just grabbed my drink, and I threw it at Randy. And I remember he threw up his hands
2: to block it, but I mean, it was... uh, It was the equivalent of a gazelle biting a lion first. Yes, 100%. (laughs) It was very, very much gazelle vibes (laughs) for
1: a buddy. I I weighed like a buck. I was like maybe five foot four, five foot six at the
2: time. And Randy uh, was at his peak. I'm talking like like legendary linebacker status linebacker but a linebacker that could do a round off back handspring into a pool that's right yeah, it was absolutely. incredibly fast uh I it was remember, a horrible choice it was well, it
1: was a horrible choice i remember he threw up his hands the coke exploded all over his car and i remember in that like i saw it in slow motion i was like fuck 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 <laughs> and i was like just start running that's the only thing you can do and randy jumped out yeah. of the car, and he caught me. I mean, like, <laughs> it was so fast, and I, I was quick. You were fast.
2: I, I only wish that somehow we had the video so I could put David Attenborough's voice over it. <laughs> just, and just completely, like, there was, you know, it's a, the, the dust on the Serengeti as he just <laughs> completely crossed over into the neighbor's yard and it just was, drug you down. It was about
0: three quarters of a lap yeah. around the house we were at. Yep. He yep. made it around the side yard and then around the back and started to make his way towards the front before I got him. That's why I
2: was always like. They were like, uh, dude, Randy never fucked with you, Mikey. What the fuck? I was like, I knew better. I fucking <laughs> knew better. I wasn't stupid.
1: Yeah, but I remember in that moment, it was pure fear. I had yeah. this like towering football player coming after me. And that's the only thing that I can kind of like parallel it to. Like, I, I mean, that it was just
0: at least that he ran fear. yeah he didn't if he ran he didn't get far no, it's he true. he was like
2: right by it there so. is a thing and this is something that Randy could never understand or fully respect or maybe i'm wrong but i i did the same thing but i did it with my dad mm-hmm. when i threw a punch at my dad when i was 16 when i was like i'm I, i'm a wrestler I'll, I, i'm in good shape and then there's a certain point i remember him Losing it and seeing it snap in his eyes, and him picking me up and literally dragging me across a wall where I knocked the phone. This is the '90s. There was phones on the walls back then. <laughs> it like literally like the and it rung a bell, bing, <laughs> like, and then push and like it was. And I remember like I was like I'm completely out of control of the situation. Yes, all I can do is just wait for whatever's about to happen to happen, and it's horrifying. And it's it's I I've only felt it. I think that time in my life that I can recall, but it's your mind changes. You're just like, this is this is it. Like if he anything that he that this person wants to do to me is going to fucking happen. Yeah. I kind of
0: parallel it to getting caught in a wave. You know what I mean? Like if you're in the ocean and like you're bodyboarding or something, you get caught in a wave like you're. You're out of control. You're at the mercy of something else. Just position your body in a good spot to recover.
2: I have been there a number of times, but I will say I would prefer eating shit on a wave than getting my head cut off by O.J. Simpson. 100%.
0: (laughs) The whole O.J. trial was just really, really like
2: super stardom,
0: like starstruck. Just it was a lot. It was just it's well, seemed it huge, it just massive. A lot, you
1: know. At the time, he was the most famous celebrity that was ever being tried for murder. So it's yeah, it was. Oh, it was, defi- a, it
2: was the trial of the century. I mean, it was, and it was different too because there was uh, there there was a case in the twenties that was uh, roughly equivalent where Fatty Arbuckle. Yeah. It was a huge, huge celebrity at that point. Huge comedian star, uh, and he had apparently raped this girl or whatever. There's some stuff there. But it was different because, you know, what are you going to do in the 20s? You show up and watch like a 15-minute like little newsreel before you watch your movie, if you even go to the movies. This was inundation. It was nonstop magazines, TV shows. In fact, Court TV really got a huge boost off of this. A ton of people... Nancy Grace and people like this uh, made their bones off of this, and it changed the whole idea of, like, you know, Buddy wanted to be a lawyer uh, to some extent, and it was... I watched a lot of this stuff, because,
1: I mean, that's kind of around the time that we switched over to, like, 24-hour news cycles, and so it didn't matter. Like, you would wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and, like, turn on the TV, and there it was,
2: you know? Well, and even, like, so, like, my perspective was, uh, because I remember initially... I was like there's no fucking way he did this <laughs> No way no way did OJ do this There's no way Nordberg killed right. His girlfriend his wife or whatever And then I remember the chase The chase yep. was huge and then I slowly Watched over the course of the whole thing And I remember I was really fascinated too And I was watching with my friend's mom I was always over at my friend's house And we were watching it constantly and his mom would like Talk to me uh, about it And what what did I think and slowly Even then uh, I, I was 12 and I was like, Yes, motherfucker, do this. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? God damn um, it, Nordberg. I was, yeah. yeah, I guess I was like 12, 13, 14, whatever it was. I mean, whatever. it is
0: what it is. They found a bloody glove at the crime scene that had, and his blood at the crime scene. It had o- Nicole's blood, blood on it, yeah. it had OJ's blood on it. Yep, yeah, like his blood should not have
1: been there. And what's uh, and they, they Ron's went, blood well, yeah. as well.
0: and then they went to his house and found
1: the other glove. Mm-hmm yep yeah and there was blood on the handle of his bronco
0: yeah
2: no so here's the interesting thing because i i I was listening to a podcast about the trial itself they had marcia clark on there and she was talking about it you know or whatever and um she was talking about like she's like there's a bunch of other people uh, that were talking about it too that were involved in the case and they're like this was should have been a, a grand slam it was easy like But it was sort of, the idea was that it was hard to describe DNA at that point to the jury. At the end of it, Marsha Clark was talking about, she was like, when I was giving my closing statements, I knew it was a lost case. I just, I knew they didn't care. And everybody was like, was it too complicated? Was it too whatever? Did they talk about the DNA? They had a juror on this show and he literally said that in the jury, the, the deliberations, they never brought up DNA. It wasn't brought up one time. Well Not it was just it,
1: it wasn't understood back in 94 the way that it is now I, I mean well,
2: well, it was turning right I, at that time so this is why it gets so complicated is I don't think it was even that the thing is is that and that what they brought up in the show and I think is 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 correct is that if you remember in 91 with the Rodney King case mm-hmm. and the way that the black community and the LAPD looked at each other it oh, was yeah. very adversarial like it 100%. was not and when they did the jury selection there were eight black women jurors on there and even oj had said he was just like he's like if they find me guilty maybe i did do it
1: <laughs> yeah that was one of the famous lines yeah. that he said and
2: marcia clark was talking about she was like i knew that they just did not no matter what they didn't want to see it well there
1: was one issue uh one issue that they played in what the people versus oj mm-hmm. and they kept on kind of like showing that marcia was just overconfident she had won like 20 of 21 murder cases mm-hmm. murder trials going into this mm-hmm. but she was just constantly like this is the evidence like how are yeah. they gonna tell me that i'm wrong yeah now one of the big missteps that they did and i don't know if this happened in real life but they portrayed it in the show was they had um what do you call it when it's like they do uh, like mock juries uh, yeah, beforehand, yeah, yeah, yeah. just yep. to kind of see how how, how public opinion is yep. prior to it, so we you know know what we're looking at. And Marcia was confident that black women were going to be on her side, mm-hmm. and she was like, "I've I've been in these trials. I know what they're going to side with me. Yeah. They're going to see that there was you know that OJ hurt her. Yeah. And this is a pattern of abuse, also because there was nine one one tapes from oh, yeah. a previous abuse, and you yeah. know, yeah. And she was just overconfident when they actually did the little mock juries. A lot of the black women said that she was unbelievable, that she was a bitch and that she was a tightwad Mm -hmm. and that she was strident was a word that kept on coming up. And she was like, the people are going to see this. We're not going to make this a thing about race. And that's where the other side really kind of played their cards against it.
2: So and this is like, again, this show just about the trial itself could be hours especially if, hours we're have, if, hours. if we're gonna have just a, a, a casual conversation about it but it's interesting to listen and like to listen to her now because the way she views it now maybe is different than what it was then it probably is in, in a lot of ways but she's she's hard on herself you know because they're like do, do you blame yourself for this she's like yeah absolutely i do i i could have done a better job i didn't know but the reality is, is that w- what she's saying is that like you know it was because of the the environment yeah, the, the environment, the playing field was so unfortunately skewed mm-hmm. that she was like, we didn't really, there was no way that we could have won this because it was, the riots were so fresh in everybody's mind. Everybody was worried about what was going to happen. And then like, then you had things like the, the glove. Remember like, don't sure. put the glove on. She was like, she didn't want him to to put the glove on. Sure. Christopher Darden, who was the other prosecutor. Yeah. Insisted on it. Sure. And she was like, I just let it happen. And she was like, I shouldn't have done that. I should have pushed back a little bit harder. But it was when Johnny Cochran came in and what I was alluding to earlier in uh, the preliminary scores, Johnny Cochran did an, an incredibly intelligent, choice a strategic choice of making it not about oj simpson but a trial of the lapd
1: yeah and see that was something that they also pointed out in the show was the officer that found the glove mark Furman. yes he actually sued the la police department Mm -hmm. saying that his work made him a racist and he had nightmares of beating up black people and so it was like the guy that found the glove Yeah Sued the LAPD for being a racist well, Like for making him a racist So biggest,
2: like- in, the, in this show the biggest thing was They were talking about the glove thing right Because they were like hey She was like the glove was a disaster yeah. It was yeah. awful like, You couldn't get worse than that She's like I told him don't do this He did it It was fine She's like but that wasn't even really the biggest deal It was the case with Mark Furman Or not the case But the situation with Mark, with Mark Furman And Mark Furman had worked with this lady on a uh like a, a movie script or whatever it mm-hmm. was right and in the script he was using the n-word profusely or whatever yep. or when they were working through it so they tied that into it but the worst thing was that they eventually got to a point where they were asking him whether he planted evidence and he pled the fifth and Jesus. that was yeah, he pled the fifth and that was she was like uh that was the worst moment in this entire she was oh, like the nail in the coffin right yeah there. and even the guy in the in, in the show was just like if you're thinking the glove moment isn't the worst he was like it's just doomed from the beginning right so when he pled the fifth like those jurors and they even interviewed the jury he was like how am I gonna convict this guy if I think there's a possibility that he that he actually yeah, like planted, planted it. it yeah yeah it's it's a complicated case and uh, like we're sort of getting into the weeds here and I don't mean to do that But, like, it was just, man, it was bad. It was bad. The DNA shows that all of this actually happened. OJ Simpson absolutely killed them. But Johnny Cochran and Shapiro and all those guys, they did a a masterful job at being defense attorneys. Yeah,
1: one of the guys that Shapiro and Cochran had was a DNA specialist, and he was like, you know how we're going to win this case is we're not, you know, yes, the DNA points to it, but I'm going to make it in this case to where the DNA just can't even be admitted into court. And so I think at some point they actually, I don't know if they actually were able to be successful with that, mm-hmm. but that was their strategy going in. It's like, we're not even going to let it no, be it was, admissible. It was It was totally
2: admissible. They, yeah. they talk about it the whole time. And a lot of people, I think the, the general, you know, from a service level, people are like, oh, it was so new. It was like such new technology that they didn't understand it. That's not the case. They never even factored that in. When you have Mark Furman pleading the fifth on whether he yeah. planted evidence, and then when you have him putting the glove on, I mean... Well, the, first of all, he's a racist,
0: and then he won't admit whether or not he planted evidence yeah. against a black guy on trial. Well, yeah, and his yeah, argument was like for the crossed. racist
2: thing was like, oh, no, 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 it was for a screenplay. I would never use the N-words that much. I'm like, if you're... If you're using it in the screenplay all the time, then like you're comfortable with the word. But it doesn't matter because, like I said, at the end of the day, I, I'm not gonna lie. If I was on that jury, I might have had a uh, had a hard time too, because you're like, yes, it's all it's troubling, but the pivot point is if the gloves and all that stuff like that were potentially placed there by Mark Furman, then all this shit is null and void. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, you do have to prove beyond a reasonable
1: doubt. Yep. That, you know, it's not just a kind of doubt, you know, it has to be beyond a reasonable doubt.
0: Yeah. Another thing that I did not care for that came out of this was the fact that OJ met a dude at USC that he became buddies with, was the best man in his wedding. And then he had to hire as an attorney on his dream team when he was arrested. Robert Kardashian was a hell of a lawyer and a close friend of OJ. Taking out the fact that he's an alleged murderer, this may be the one thing I'm personally going to hold most against him. The level of fame that Robert achieved as part of the Dream Team was a driving force in the recognition of the last name that we unfortunately have to hear way too much about today. Yes, I said it. OJ is to blame for us as a society having to be exposed to the Kardashian bullshit.
2: Definitely uh, gave them some cachet there. I I will say that Kim Kardashian's fuck tape with Ray J played more of a a part in them being famous.
0: I think it was uh, the last name having the last name I'll be I I
2: remember when she first came around and she was like a sort of like Paris's sort of sort of sidekick on the simple life or whatever it was her Ray J fuck tape was really a huge thing I I, like
1: in a sense we didn't really know who Paris was until the sex tape yeah I think it's
2: all sort of like retroactive in that sense Uh, also it's just sort of wild to me that because like even when I was listening to this uh, podcast coming back from Florida this weekend And they had Kris Jenner on there talking Mm -hmm. about her or whatever. She was uh, Nicole's best friend. Best friend, yeah. Yeah. They were best friends or whatever. Um, But, you know, I mean, yeah.
0: So, side note, Ross from Friends absolutely fucking crushed it in the role he played as Robert Kardashian in the made-for-TV movie about the whole fiasco. 100%. It was the first time I was able to look at him as somebody other than Ross from Friends. Yep. Probably the most memorable part about the entire O.J. Simpson murder case was the slow-speed chase that ensued the night he turned himself in. Do you guys remember where you were when O.J. was in the White Bronco? Absolutely. I do. Absolutely. Nice. So the guy driving, Al Callings, did wind up going to jail along with O.J. that night. After he returned home from jail, his friend Don Kreese told USA Today in 2014 he wanted to get rid of that car as soon as possible. Memorabilia collector Michael Chronic was keen to snap it up and offered $75,000 immediately if Callings agreed to throw in 250 autographed pictures of himself driving the vehicle.
2: Oh, wait, How many? 250,
0: 250? 250 autographed pictures and 75 K for the Bronco. Okay. That does kind of tell you like the celebrity
1: status that OJ was at, that they allowed this just slow car chase to go on yeah. for multiple hours on what? The three Oh five. Oh, it was, it, was,
2: it was multiple highways. And then like, it was so big cause like people were coming out and they were hanging sheets that were like run juice run. Yeah, And then this, and this, uh, I I was listening to on my way home yesterday, Marsha Clark was talking about it. And she was like, I was so frustrated. She was like, here's this man who's killed two people and people are cheering him on. And I was like, first of all, nobody knew that. Right. Yeah. Second of all, it was awesome. It was, <laughs> I was like to see these people come out and be like, yo, he's about to run through here. Go, go, go. Yeah, and like, hang it. And stuff like, yes, he, yeah, he totally killed her. Uh, he, he killed both of them and stuff like that. But it was, again, You're looking at it from now. At the time, I remember remember where I was at, like Randy was asking. I was in my living room, and me and a friend of mine that were on my baseball team, and my dad were watching it. And we were literally watching it, and we were like, no fucking way he did this shit. We were like, hell yeah, OJ. Go, buddy, go. (laughs) Because it was before all this trial shit. We didn't know about the DNA evidence or whatever. I didn't know that he had beat the fucking shit. Nicole Brown two years earlier yep. that it was like so bad. I didn't know that she had told Kris Jenner that he was going to kill her yep. and get away with it. Yep. I was like, no nah, dude, that's fucking Nordberg. Yeah, I want <laughs> you to get away and I want you and Leslie Nielsen to fly off into the future.
1: I remember hearing a podcast with Kate Hudson in it and she was talking about how she was at home with uh, her mom, Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell. Yep. and Kurt was watching and he's like, he's coming home, he's coming home, he's coming to Brentwood. And they lived close to it, and yeah. like he he ran out of the house, and Goldie's like, don't go running
2: over there. Yeah. And he
1: went right there running. He was part of the crowd that watched him kind of pull back in. He's like, yeah, yeah juice, yeah. yeah.
2: I get where Marshall Clark's coming from. It's retroactively, of course, it yeah. looks unfortunate. I also want to say I want to defend Marshall Clark here real quick because – she got a shit rap because God. that perm was nasty.
0: It was. It was, man. it was so
2: bad. Somehow, some people managed to slowly look better over time. She's one of them. She is one of them. Yeah, for and I sure. mean, she looks like the same face, but with a better haircut mm-hmm. now. And also, I, I want to say. She kind of had that
0: wet dog look.
2: It was bad. Yeah. The perm was bad. And honestly, like I said, when, when I watch her in interviews and stuff like that, she is very just an open and honest person you know what mm-hmm. i'm saying a lot of people would sit there and be like i didn't mess this up i didn't do this or whatever uh even with the glove thing she was like that was chris's call but you know he apologized and I'm like let's just move forward she's like that wasn't even the worst part it was it was mark Furman." and honestly like overall i'm like i've gained a lot of respect for her over time and uh, i just feel bad that i remember looking at her and being like Yo, it's just hair sucks, son. Yeah, she got the new haircut for it, even. I mean, they treated her
0: like shit yeah. throughout the whole process. The like, whole country was kind of rooting against her. It's true. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, what yeah. an
2: unfortunate situation. And she was even talking about it when she was like, when I, when I first heard about the case, she was like, they're like, do you want to take this case? She's like, well, that's the cases that we took. You know, she's like, we took big cases and it was like celebrity cases. That's our whole. She was like, I didn't choose this because it was OJ. I wasn't trying to get famous. Whatever. She's like, I just thought he was the guy from The Naked Gun. Yeah. So I was going to say, like, a lot of people didn't realize that that's not O.J. Simpson's fucking Bronco. That's right. That's Al Callen's Bronco. And that's like, when the new Broncos came out, everyone was like, oh, hell yeah, get that O.J. style. That was just Al Callen's. Well,
1: (laughs) he was such a big, like, O.J. was his BFF,
0: and he was like, I think he kind of wanted to be O.J. They had the exact same Bronco. Exactly. That's what it was. Yeah, they had the exact same car. That's right. That's right, so on November 2nd, when they'd agreed to meet at the Westwood Marquee Hotel, Cowlings didn't show up. Eventually, he called the buyer and told him the deal was off. Cowlings heard that Kronik's Minnesota-based company, Startifacts intended to rent the car to a company in L.A. called Graveline Tours. It would be driven up and down the same stretch of freeway in a kind of murder-themed tourism that Cowlings found, well, troubling. They're going to reenact the chase with the Bronco and then take people to Nicole's grave. God, this is fucking morbid. That's what Simpsons former agent Mike Gilbert told ESPN. The trial hadn't taken place yet, and we didn't want people thinking anything associated with OJ that he did this. Instead, Gilbert Cowling's attorney, Stanley Stone, and their friend, Michael Pulwer, who had made his fortune in adult entertainment, paid $75,000 for the car. For the next 17 years, the car languished in a nondescript parking garage of a Los Angeles condominium. Every other year, Gilbert would check on it and take it out for a spin, occasionally the battery was changed in almost two decades. It drove fewer than 20 miles. Wow. Then in 2012, a man connected to the Las Vegas Luxor hotel came across the vehicle in a parking lot and asked if the hotel could lease it as part of a vast sports memorabilia exhibition for a few months. It sat in front of the hotel. They wanted to bring it inside, but Gilbert refused to have it dismantled It went to a first Las Vegas parking lot and then back into Gilbert's own garage in California. So in 2017, Car got back in the public eye once again in an episode of Pawn Stars, where Rick Harrison struggled to place a figure on such an unusual prize. Gilbert asked $1.3 million for it, then an almost equally eye-watering $1.25. After some deliberation, host Rick Harrison decided to pass, even if, he said, it might well reach more at auction. Gilbert was unfazed. I'll never sell the Bronco for under a million, he said. I know it's worth that, and if not, it will be. I, got,
2: I think I, uh, I got a guy I can talk to real quick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, having a hard
0: time with this. After the show was filmed and before it aired, Gilbert struck a deal with the Alcatraz East Crime Museum in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, where the car is presently on show. It's not clear whether it's a result of a loan, a gift, or a sale, but for the time being, museum officials say it's there to stay. At this time, they note on their website, no one is actively pursuing selling the Bronco. So it's sitting in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, right now.
2: Yeah, ah. it's an interesting like curve there because there's like a demand and a demand curve, and now it's, he's on the downslope here. Yeah, sure. It doesn't yeah. really matter that much to people anymore, you know. It's like the Bonnie and Clyde car. Part, yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. Yeah. You know? Uh, back in if you could have, they were cutting it. that dead lady's hair and fingers
0: off. Yeah, like nowadays, if you're like, oh, here's bonnie's finger yeah. you're like god damn gross like what
2: <laughs> well, i was like if you if you could have sold that car in like the 40s when bonnie and clyde were still like huge yeah you could have made a ton of money but over time yep. as people die off it becomes less of a story more of a thing that you put in your like history book the oj simpson bronco uh less valuable now that guy should sell it immediately yeah, yeah
1: it's kind of like once you drive a car off of the parking lot you know it starts to depreciate yep. so yeah now the trial's way over and so, yep, on yeah, appreciation is yeah. Yeah, escalating. Real. Unless
2: there was a letter that was handwritten by O.J. where he was like, yeah, I did this shit, and is in the glove box. <laughs>
0: yeah, he had one, a suicide note that he wrote before he that. got into the oh, car. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. As the whole world knows, O.J. was found not guilty in the criminal trial, but was found liable for their deaths in the civil trial. On february fifth, nineteen ninety seven, a civil jury in Santa Monica, California unanimously found Simpson liable for the wrongful death and battery against Goldman and battery against Brown. Simpson was ordered to pay thirty three million five hundred thousand in damages, and in February of nineteen ninety nine, an auction of Simpson's Heisman Trophy and other belongings netted almost five hundred thousand, which went to the Goldman family. Yeah. So yep, he's only got thirty three million left to pay it's he will never pay it no
2: thing and uh and that uh thing i was listening to uh ron goldman was talking about he was like i didn't care about the money i just needed it to be put on a record that he was fucking guilty basically yeah that's right absolutely um which is unfortunate because i would like to have both if i was me you're guilty also i would like that 33 million Mm dollars yeah you can't replace your son his parents just wanted
1: to tarnish the name and you know, make sure that nothing he couldn't profit. Pretty much moving, they forward. did
2: too. Yeah, yeah.
0: The Goldman family also tried to collect Simpson's NFL twenty eight thousand monthly pension, but failed to collect any money. The Goldman family has been back to court multiple times over the years to try and collect on the judgment, with no real luck. Twenty
2: eight thousand monthly pension.
0: Yeah, in the NFL. God, that'd be mm-hmm. so cool to have over three hundred k a year
2: man and pension Mm -hmm. yeah i would die real quick (laughs) i'm saying i would just be like whatever dude living lavish i'm just yeah no i don't have to keep my body in shape i'm just gonna drink and eat and just be merry
0: there you go oj seemed to lay fairly low after he was acquitted of the murders moving to florida so he could escape having most of his shit getting taken due to state laws but on december 4th thousand one. Simpsons Miami home was searched by the FBI on suspicion of ecstasy possession and money laundering Mm -hmm. the FBI had received a tip that Simpson was involved in a major drug trafficking ring after 10 other suspects were arrested in the case Simpsons home was thoroughly searched for two hours but no illegal drugs were discovered and no arrests or formal charges were ever filed following the search however Investigators uncovered equipment capable of stealing satellite television programming, which eventually led to Simpson being sued in federal court. In March 2004, satellite television network DirecTV Inc. accused Simpson in a Miami federal court of using illegal electronic devices to pirate its broadcast signals. The company later won a $25,000 judgment, and Simpsons was, was ordered to pay an additional $33,000 in attorney's fees and costs.
2: So he got caught stealing cable?
0: OJ got caught stealing cable. Yeah, man, my dad was stealing cable back in the 90s, and I'm glad yes. he didn't get caught. Wow.
2: Yeah. Here's the deal. <laughs> Here's the deal. Him getting found not guilty created the biggest target on the planet where every fucking da on it it was like if i can touch this guy it's going down we're gonna get him for everything like he literally when that verdict was first read he was like fuck yeah dude and then like the rest of his life was basically like you're a pariah and you're literally just hunted for the rest of your life in 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 legal terms like you can never afford the attorneys. it's gonna take and also we found ecstasy And like at least 70 Salt Life stickers. (laughs) (laughs) Mikey, your score is too low. That person was definitely a giant asshole and you rated them like they were Justin Bieber. Wouldn't you like to tell us what you think? Well, now you can. Check us out on all our social media pages and tell us what you think about our scores, shows, and of course, good looks. We'd love to hear what you have to think. Now, pucker up, buttercup. It's back to Asshole Court. So Karma eventually
0: caught up to Simpson in September 2007 after he was arrested in Las Vegas on charges of kidnapping, armed robbery, and assault. I have to admit, I remember hearing about this after it happened and thought, no way, this isn't something he'll get in trouble for. They'll let him go. Very similar to your reaction on the first one. I no way, this is some stupid shit. Initially, the way I remember this story coming out, is that O.J. was at a wedding. Some guys there said there was a group of men in the hotel that had a bunch of O.J.'s old stuff and they were getting ready to sell it. Well, didn't quite go like that. An apparent audio tape of O.J. Simpson's standoff with the men he accused of stealing his memorabilia begins with the ex-NFL star demanding, Don't let nobody out of here. Think you can steal my shit and sell it? The voice identifies as Simpson said. Simpson was arrested and booked on charges connected with what police described as a robbery in a Las Vegas hotel. In the audio tape released by TMZ, a man believed to be Simpson is heard shouting questions while other men yell orders to the people in the room. The recording was made by Thomas Riccio, co-owner of the auction house Universal Rarities, according to TMZ. Simpson has said Riccio called him several weeks ago to tell him collectors were selling some of his items. Riccio told TMZ he believed Simpson was planning to confront Alfred Beardsley, who was allegedly planning to auction off the memorabilia. Another collector in the hotel room, Bruce Frommug, said the meeting was set up as if men were customers, but when they arrived, it was clear something else was going on. The door burst open, and they came in almost commando style. O.J. Simpson and some of his people, I guess you would call it, with guns drawn, Ogg told ABC's Good Morning America. O.J. at the time was saying, I want my stuff, I want my stuff. Simpson has said that he was accompanied by men he met at a wedding, cocktail party, and that they took the collectibles. It was merely a confrontation with no guns, Simpson said. He said autographed sports collectibles... His Hall of Fame certificate, a photograph with former FBI director J. Edgar Hoover, and video from his first wedding were all <laughs> <J>. his. Hoover? <Edgar laughs> <laughs> which, ironically, his dad was also a cross-dresser, and he had a picture with J. Edgar Hoover.
2: Well, yeah, it's true, J. Edgar Worlds Huber. are colliding there.
0: Yeah. Famous the cross-dresser. Was gay.
2: Yeah. My grandma tried to fight me when I told her he was gay. So this
1: is reminiscent of Suge Knight coming in on uh, Vanilla Ice, like with his
0: entourage That's with right. guns and Su- stuff. Knight
2: and uh, J. Edgar Hoover.
0: O.J. Simpson. Yeah. So the items likely belonged to Simpson at one point, Vermong said, but these things that belonged to him were a long, long time ago. By the end of October 2007, all three of Simpson's co-defendants had plea bargained with the prosecution. Walter Alexander and Charles Cashmore accepted plea agreements in exchange for reduced charges and their testimony against Simpson and three other co-defendants, including testimony that there were guns used in the robbery. Co-defendant Michael McClinton told a Las Vegas judge that he too would plead guilty to reduce charges and testify against Simpson that guns were used in the robbery. After the hearings, the judge ordered that Simpson be tried for the robbery. On November 8, 2007, Simpson had a preliminary hearing to decide whether he would be tried for the charges. He was held over for trial on all 12 counts. Simpson pleaded not guilty on November 29th with an initial setting for a trial of April seventh, later bumped out to September eighth. In January of 08, Simpson was taken into custody in Florida and extradited to Las Vegas where he was incarcerated in Clark County Jail for violating the terms of his bail by attempting to contact Clarence C.J. Stewart, a co-defendant in the trial. District Attorney David Roger of Clark County provided District Court Judge Jackie Glass with evidence that Simpson had violated his bail terms. Another hearing took place in January of 08, and Glass raised Simpson's bail to $250,000. Simpson posted the bond that evening and returned to Miami the next day.
2: I can't remember the name of it, but I remember when I was, uh, I used to go to Vegas every year for work, and I remember, like, seeing it, and I was like, (laughs) that's a shithole, man. It's uh, uh, an unfortunate situation where, like, the end of OJ comes from some (laughs) off-strip fucking nasty Vegas hotel. Like
1: Circus Circus. Uh, Worse than that. that.
2: One of those local ones where it just, like, literally smells like a a used cigarette butt. On October 3rd, 2008, Simpson and his co-defendant
0: headed to trial. The two were found guilty on all charges the news was not good for Simpson but someone else took this news just as hard if not harder Carmelita Durio OJ Simpson's sister collapsed in the Las Vegas courtroom when he was convicted of robbery and kidnapping fast forward a few weeks later she was dead a family friend told the Associated Press in a phone interview that he did not know the exact cause of death but said that her kidneys had failed and he believed she was in her early 60s I think it was the stress she just couldn't take it he said Noting she had declined since October when she last saw her brother let out of the courtroom in handcuffs that day, she collapsed and paramedics were called a reviver ever since the trial. She just hasn't been well. She had been taken to a hospital about three weeks ago and released to a rehabilitation facility. When she was returned back to the hospital, she fell into a coma. Her kidneys just shut down. They don't know what happened. So his sister collapsed in the courtroom when he got convicted and he wound, she wound up dying.
2: It's definitely OJ's fault. That's uh, three bodies. You can pin that one on him. hundred oh, Why not? Yep. Yeah. He, he killed her kidneys.
0: <laughs> on October 10th, Simpsons counsel moved for a new trial on the grounds of judicial errors and insufficient evidence. Simpsons attorney announced he would appeal to the Nevada Supreme Court if Judge Glass denied the motion. The attorney for Simpsons co-defendant, C.J. Stewart, petitioned for a new trial, alleging Stewart should have been tried separately and cited for possible misconduct by the jury foreman. Simpson faced a possible life sentence with parole on the kidnapping charge and mandatory prison time for armed robbery. On December 5th, 2008, he was sentenced to a total of 33 years in prison with the possibility of parole after nine. In October 2010, the Nevada Supreme Court affirmed his convictions. He served a sentence at the Lovelock Correctional Center where his inmate ID number was 867-5309. Just kidding, it was (laughs) 102-7820. On July 31st, 2013, the Nevada Parole Board granted Simpson parole on some of his convictions, but his imprisonment continued based on the weapons and assault charges. The board considered Simpson's prior record of criminal convictions and good behavior in prison in coming to the decision. At his parole hearing in July of 2017, the board decided to grant Simpson's parole with certain parole conditions, such as travel restrictions, non-contact, and co-defendants from the robbery, and not drinking excessively. He was released on October 1st, 2017, having served almost nine years. On December 14th, 2021, Simpson was released from parole early for good behavior, releasing him from the previous conditions of his release and effectively making him a completely free man. While he was in jail, Simpson was planning to publish the ghostwritten If I Did It, a hypothetical account of how he would have committed the Brown-Simpson-Goldman murders in late 2006. Are you fucking kidding me? But after a publishing deal... This? No, yeah. I don't. It was massive. Oh, dude. for people, sure. People
2: were pissed. But after, is
0: so. Yeah. But after a publishing deal with HarperCollins fell through, a federal bankruptcy judge awarded the book's rights to the family of Goldman. The Goldman family added commentary to the work and retitled it, If I Did It, Confessions of the Killer. The book was published in, in September 2007. Then you had The Lost Confession. Around the time of the book's original planned publication... Simpson taped an accompanying interview with HarperCollins publisher Judith Reagan. However, it was shelved due to the victim's concerns that Simpson would find a way to profit from its broadcast. In March 2018, the footage finally aired as part of the two-hour special titled O.J. Simpson, The Lost Confession. In the interview, Simpson describes a hypothetical situation in which he encounters Goldman at his ex-wife's home, takes a knife from his friend Charlie as things turn violent. Simpson also expresses some regret At the physical abuse, he doled out on Nicole, saying, The one thing that hurts me as much as anything is this. Besides being considered by some a murderer, is being a batterer. So what's the juice trying to squeeze out of the last leg of life? Everyone is talking about reality shows. Simpson's attorney, Malcolm Laverne, told Vanity Fair in 2017, We get flooded with calls to people saying, We've got a $50 million deal for Simpson. Or, We're an agency and we've got a business proposal for Simpson. He's ignoring all of them. He's a senior citizen. He's enjoying his life and he's just breathing, learning to exhale after being in jail for a decade. And that, boys, is OJ Simpson.
2: Okay. Wow. Yeah. Rough. Yeah, sure Rough. is. Sure is. Leaves
0: me feeling icky. He kind of has that icky feel to him a little bit, right? Just knowing he got away with what he got away with. And even just like any of the photos I see of him nowadays, like, it's just
1: he's a shell of the man that he used to be. Oh, for sure. He's older, too, you know.
2: He's a fucking pariah. Yeah. you can't even, there's nothing that he can do. Like we were talking about with, uh, you know, he got that not guilty verdict. He was like, I'm cool. Every other charge that he got, he's getting the maximum sentence every fucking time. 100%. That sentence that happened in Las Vegas itself for the robbery or whatever, for the sports memorabilia or whatever, is a travesty. If he hadn't been OJ Simpson, that is an insane sentence for that. Oh situation. yeah, uh, one of the
0: guys said he got nine years for something somebody else would have gotten six months for. Yes, yeah, that's wow. And that's the yeah. thing.
2: He never. He literally is uh, like Cain and Abel, where Cain had to after he killed Abel, he escaped off and it was like, "You will be forever hunted." It, yeah. Like, like yeah. It's, it's what it is. Uh, which well, is good. Yeah, good. I, I find I it can. good, man. Like he should have yeah. been. He should have been convicted the first time. There's a lot of things that go into it. Like I said, like. You don't live in a vacuum, right? Like every case doesn't exist in a vacuum. There's a lot of uh, outlying conditions that make a case different. And that was certainly if the Rodney King trials hadn't happened in 91, I don't think you get this, this, the same verdict. Sure. Maybe you do. I don't know, but it's, it's, it's just, I don't know. Okay. So look, here's the deal. Yeah. Roll it into your final score. Did he fucking kill her? Yeah. Yeah. Did he kill Ron Goldman? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I will say Mm 99.999% sure, I don't know who else would have done this or whatever. It sucks to see, Yeah, obviously, it's 30 years of my life he's been a villain. 10 yeah. years of my life he was my hero. Yep. A hero. Uh, Put him
0: at 8.5. 8.5. All right, buddy, what are your final thoughts on OJ? All
2: right, so,
1: you know, there's not a lot that I heard today that surprised me just for how well-versed I was on this subject topic coming into it. He killed Nicole Brown. He killed Ron Goldman. I mean, I'm nine I'm point nine 99.999% positive as well, you know.
2: I always thought that Ron Goldman was fucking Nicole Brown, too. They were, they were f- new friends. Yeah, yeah. It was like when so you're... So, here's
0: the deal. She left sunglasses at the restaurant. The manager got a call from someone to take the sunglasses to her. So, he was, like, sent by the manager right. to take the sunglasses to her. But when, he was like, "Hey, I'll go. I know where she lives."
2: When I was in the, uh, listening to that thing yesterday, they were saying it was like her grandmother's glasses or something like that at a, at a dinner party. Mm-hmm. Even like my wife was like, "What?" I thought it was something totally different. I I didn't know, but my assumption had always been that Ron Goldman was, was banging like, her, yeah, totally. And then yep. it,
1: maybe he was trying to. Well, here's the yeah. picture that they painted in the People versus OJ, and it was that Nicole and OJ. You know, they they were their sex was amazing so they were always they were always fucking all the time
2: it leads in with that one
1: yeah they fucked like greek Damn. gods that's what like that's what the what was the one of her friends faye whatever oh, she was on the
0: Coke. book, yeah
2: okay this is another thing uh that i want to talk about here too is that like do we never talk about our sex lives with our wives yeah, and we've been friends for years. Cause I, I, feel like it's sort of a private thing. Like, I, honestly, if if you guys came to me, you're like, Joe. Yo fucking slayed that shit last night whipping that ass bro choked her a little bit I'd yeah. be like please stop yeah. so it's weird when it's just like well, they're friends to their oh their friends their sex life, life is incredible amazing.
1: well that's uh, I agree with that
2: no no I'm not saying you're wrong I'm just saying it's so weird when people do it or like overly open about their own sex lives nobody wants to hear it really yeah but we're also
1: talking about Brentwood California and the uber rich and it's just not the world that's not the circles we run in Cool. Anyways, the way that she portrayed it was that they had an amazing sex life, so when and she had a very high libido. So when they divorced, he knew that she was running around town banging everybody or she just had to have that fulfilled. Vitamin
0: so it, D, son.
1: So that made OJ very jealous. So there was even she even said in the book that there was even times where OJ would be like hiding in the bushes watching her fucking other dudes at other people's house because he knew that she was over there and, you know, but they knew that that was going on Yeah. and then they would get back together and then somebody would end up cheating on somebody else. But he was completely obsessed with her. Mm-hmm. So at a certain point, even if Ron wasn't banging her, if OJ thought he was, that could have been the tipping point sure. and that's what they tried to That makes sense, you know, Here's at the least the support-
2: say I. I hate for that to be the case because that would feel so bad for Ron Goldman just being like, hey, we can bring in back your grandma's glasses. <laughs> no, OJ's like, she's like, she's so horny all the time. <laughs> now it's time to kill you. That that would suck. That would suck. Yeah.
1: So, um, but he got off through an amazing legal team that was able to, like you said, Johnny Crockin was able to make this about, racial tensions in between the LAPD and the community. Mm -hmm. And that was one of his strong points was that he always tied it back to the community. He was always, uh, Johnny Cochran was always fighting for the community. And that's one of the big things that really helped in this case for sure. Mm -hmm. So yeah, no, he killed both of them. And technically if he hadn't have been the juice, he could have been facing the, uh, the death penalty.
2: Oh dude, if he hadn't been famous over, yeah, yeah, 100%. For sure. for sure.
1: So, you know, for me, I look at people that we've graded in the past, and, you know, I see Jared Fogle in at a 9.0. <laughs> I see R. Kelly in at an 8.5. Yeah. You know, I originally had him at an 8.0, but I'm going to split the difference in between R. Kelly and Jared Fogle and land uh, the juice in at a final asshole score of an 8.75. Okay. Actually, you know, let's skew it a little bit just to kind of make – um. You know, so that way we don't have any overlaps, at least hopefully going forward. So we're going to I'm going to give him an eight point seven seven as a final asshole score.
0: Eight point seven seven. Randy, right. bring us home. Yeah, absolutely. So my final thoughts echo a lot of the sentiments you guys just talked about. Right. Like it, it hurts me to know Nordberg killed people. Yeah. Um, Like you said, Mikey, they threw the book at him for the fucking the robbery. Vegas I I read an article about one of the guys he went to trial with and he was like man this is all bullshit we got next to nothing compared to what he got grand scheme of things though just a really like captivating story you know you read it A to Z and you're like it's hard to put down it's literally like a a movie of someone's life Mm -hmm. is what this guy did you know from the time he was really in college to the time he got out of prison when he was 70 something years old Sure, just always kind of in the limelight and unfortunately the last You know, two-thirds of it was all for the the wrong reasons. I had him initially at an 8.0. I'm going to put him a final score at an 8.3. Okay. 8.3 is my final score.
1: All right. With an 8.5 from Mikey, an 8.77 from Buddy, and an 8.3 from Randy, OJ Simpson's final asshole
0: score is an 8.52. All right, 8.52. He breaks the mold just above our 8.5 crowd of John McAfee, R. Kelly, and Alex Jones. He sits uh, just below Jeffrey Epstein in the year 2020 at 8.67. So that is where O.J. Simpson is going to wind up falling. 8.52. 8.52. Seems reasonable. Yeah, absolutely. He's got bodies on him for sure. I
2: mean, McAfee killed his neighbor. Mm -hmm.
0: R. Kelly peed on kids. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Awesome. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Asshole Court. As always, check us out on patreon.com slash AHCPodcast. Put the full name in there. I know you heard last show uh, we gave shoutouts to all of our Patreon members. Uh, We've got some cool stuff coming in the next few months uh, as part of the swag giveaways for being that Patreon member. So, uh, keep an eye out for that. As always, we appreciate everything you guys do in terms of support. Be kind to one another. We'll see you next time on Asshole Court.